0: Amen. All right, well, we're there in First Corinthians, chapter number sixteen, and uh, I'm going to do my best to make it through the entire chapter tonight. And uh, this should be the last sermon in our First Corinthians Bible study. We started this Bible study uh, back in November of 2017, November 8th of 2017, and this tonight is the 26th sermon in this uh, Bible study. It's the last sermon in this Bible study. And honestly, there's a lot of material in this, in this chapter, could have easily preached three sermons out of this chapter, but I'm going to do the best I can to just, um, there, there's some verses that could be there, in, an entire sermon, just the verse by itself. Uh, so tonight what I'm going to do just for sake of time is I'm going to give you an overview, we're going to run through it, we're going to cover all the verses, we're going to go through it and uh, just give you kind of an overview of it, uh, because we're going to be finishing up 1 Corinthians, next week we'll be having Church at the Park Uh, for our fourth of july service and then the week after that we're starting the book of ezekiel Uh, so we'll we'll be hitting one chapter a week in ezekiel also so this will kind of help us get ready for that but i want you to notice that there's three major themes in this chapter and i'm gonna uh, just go through those themes with you the first thing we see in this chapter is we are given instructions on special offerings he gives us instructions for special offerings if you look down at verse number one he says this now concerning the collection of for the saints so when he's talking about the collection for the saints he's talking about the offering the collecting of the offering and this isn't what a, a, a regular offering like what's done uh, on a weekly basis although the bible talks about that but this is a, a special offering this would be kind of like we do once a year the vision offering and i want to show you from the bible why they were having this collection for the saints if you're there in first corinthians 16 go to the book of acts if you just go backwards you're in first corinthians you're going to go past romans into the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 11. Acts chapter number 11. And look at verse number 27. Acts eleven twenty-seven. The Bible says this, And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem to Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth. That's talking about uh, a time of famine where things aren't producing. Uh, throughout all the world, Which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man, and this is as a result of this prophecy of this great dearth, according to his ability, notice what it says, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So what's going on here is that, uh, you know, there are churches of like faith and practice, you know, uh, sister churches or fellowshipping churches that hear that there is a church in need. It would be like, Uh, you know our church we have churches that we fellowship with that are churches that are like our churches it it would be like if we heard that one of those churches was in need you know if they you know one of the churches in Texas or something and uh, maybe they had a a flooding or a tornado or something like that and we uh, had a special offering maybe we used our vision offering to help them out that's basically what's going on here and Paul is talking about this instruction for this uh, special offering. You're there in Acts. Now do me a favor, keep your finger there in Acts because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it several times tonight. But go to Romans, uh, which is just the next book over, Romans chapter 15, and look at verse number 25. Romans 15 and verse 25 says this, but now, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, but now I go unto Jerusalem, Romans 15, 25, to minister unto the saints, notice verse 26, For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia, notice what it says, to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at... Jerusalem. So we see there again, this, this special offering that was to go to Judea or to Jerusalem is mentioned oftentimes. And there's other references, but I just wanted to give you a couple there. So that's what we're talking about. He's giving instructions for these special offerings. That's why I always think it's funny. You know, sometimes people have actually criticized our church for, you know, why do you guys take a special vision offering or why? And I always ask, my, you know, I always think to myself, have you ever read the Bible? Because there's a lot of special offerings that are taken in the Bible. I mean, even in, in the book of Exodus, they're taking special offerings for the tabernacle. And, in, and you get into 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings, and they're taking special offerings for the temple. And, and, you know, there's lots of places in the Bible that talks about taking special offerings. And here, in 1 Corinthians 16, he gives some instructions for this special offering. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, Upon the first day of the week. I want you to notice, and if you're writing down some notes on, on instructions for special offerings, Here's the instructions. Number one, special offerings should be planned. Special offerings should be planned. It says that upon the first day of the week, they had a set day that they were supposed to bring the collection and the contribution for this offering. And I'm not preaching about this uh, uh, tonight, but let me just mention this. I want you to notice it says there the first day of the week. The first day of the week is is, Sunday, Sunday, You know, uh, Sunday is not the Sabbath day. The word Sabbath actually means seventh. Saturday is the seventh day of the week. I just want you to notice that you will not find anywhere in the New Testament where a local New Testament church ever met on a sabbath day they went soul winning on a sabbath day but when they met for church it was always on the first day of the week let me give you just another example acts chapter 20 and verse number seven if you kept your place there in acts just go back to it and like i said continue to keep your place there in acts because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it acts chapter 20 and verse 7 the bible says this acts 20 and verse 7 and upon the first day of the week when the disciples notice came together so they're coming together that's church to break bread, you know, as their donut time, Paul preached, that's the preaching service, unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. So you'll have the Seventh-day Adventist, there's even Seventh-day Baptists now, you know, and there's all sorts of weird cults that say you got to meet on the sabbath day and people always want to argue about the sabbath day and the bible is very clear that the sabbath day has been repealed it's one of those parts of the old testament that we don't follow today but really it, before you even get into the argument of the sabbath day when one of these people try to tell you like you know because some of these people believe if you go to church on a sunday you know that's the mark mark of the antichrist it, it's funny how all these weirdos always they, their their thing is always whatever they want you to do you know if you don't believe in a flat earth if you believe in a globe Pope, that's the mark of the antichrist or if you go to church on sunday that's the mark of the antichrist you know the question that i always ask these people when somebody says to me oh you guys have church on sunday you should have it on Saturday." day i just say show me in the bible where any local new testament church met on a, on, on any other day than the first day of the week because they want to take you to all these passages in the old testament where they met at the temple or they brought an offering but that wasn't the local new testament church those were old testament saints you know, in the New Testament, they always met upon the first day of the week because that's when the Lord Jesus Christ resurrected, so they honor his resurrection by meeting on the first day of the week. By the way, the Lord did not die on Good Friday. Good Friday is a hoax. The Lord died on a Wednesday, which is the other reason we have a service on Wednesday night. You know, on Wednesday nights we gather together and we uh, spend time in the word of God, and then on the first uh, and honor his death and then on the resurre- on the first day of the week we honor his resurrection. So I want you to notice that a special offering should, number one, be planned. Go go back to uh, 1 Corinthians 16. Keep your place in Acts, though, because we're going to leave it and and come back to it. It should be planned. But secondly, I want you to notice that special offerings should be prepared. Special offerings should be prepared. 1 Corinthians 16.2 says this, upon the first day of the week, notice these words, Let every one of you, notice these words, lay by him in store. Lay by him in store. This is something that should be prepared. Special offerings should not be an impulse buy. You know how you go to the store and they try to put all that stuff in front of you right before you you know the checkout they put all the candy bars they put all those things why they're trying to they're trying to get you to buy something that you did not go to the store to buy those are called impulse buys right some of you buy cars like that you know impulse buys and that's not healthy that's not good but you know at ch- churches do that too You'll come to church and they'll show you a picture of some you know, kid in Africa who's starving or whatever, and they try to tug at your emotions to try to make you make an impulse by uh, when it comes to offerings. But you know, the Bible says that let every one of you lay by him in store. It should be something that's been prepared. That's why when we do our vision offering, we talk about it weeks and weeks in advance. We tell you about it and we talk about it and we pray about it. Why? Because and even that wording, in store, means like it's something you should be saving up for. Something you should be determined to do. You should be prepared and have a purpose. You're there in 1 Corinthians 16. Keep your place there. That's our text, obviously. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, just real quickly. 2 Corinthians 9, next book over. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7. In 2 Corinthians 9, he's talking to them about this offering still. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, he says this. Every man according, notice these words, as he purposeth in his heart so giving and special giving should be something that we do on purpose something we prepare for something that we planned for and we're going to come back to 2nd Corinthians 9 7 here in a minute uh, so keep your place there you should have your place in Acts have your place in 2nd Corinthians 9 but go back to 1st Corinthians 16 let me give you the third uh, instruction for a special offering number one they should be planned number two they should be prepared number three They should be proportional. Notice verse 2. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. Notice what it says as God hath prospered him. See, giving in the local New Testament church is always done in, in proportionality or in percentage. As God has prospered you, that's what you should be willing to give. As God has blessed you, that's what you should be willing to give. We should all be involved in the giving um, of the house of God. But there's, it's not equal giving in the sense that we all give the same. It ought to be equal sacrifice in the sense that it should hurt maybe someone who has a lot of money as much as it might hurt someone who doesn't have as much money. It should be done proportionally uh, and it should be based on how God has. Has prospered you if you kept your place in acts 11 remember we read the verse there in verse 29 about the about the special offering I want you to notice the the wording that it says there acts 11 29 says then the disciples every man notice these words according to his ability. So it should be done according to your ability. And, the, and the, you know, whatever God has prospered you. And the Bible says that it is God that gives you the strength to get wealth. And it is God that blesses you. And we should always be willing to honor God with our finances because he's the one that honors us. Go back to First Corinthians 16. Look at verse 3. Let me give you the last... Instruction he gives for special offerings. He says, first of all, they should be planned, they should be prepared, they should be proportional. Lastly, they should be positive. Notice verse 3. And when I come, whomsoever sh- uh, ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send. Notice what he says to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. That word liberality is the same word as generosity. This is something that should be done positively. It should be done willingly. We should be generous. We should want to give. We should not do it with a bad attitude. If you kept your place there in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7, the Bible says this, every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give. Notice what he says, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. Why? For God loveth a cheerful giver. See, when we give to the work of God, to the house of God, when we give maybe to other believers that are in need, we should do it with a positive attitude, with a willing attitude. God does not want us to give grudgingly. He does not want us to give of necessity. He wants, the Bible says that God loveth a cheerful giver. So the first thing we see in this chapter is the instructions for special offerings. And we see those instructions are that they should be planned and prepared and proportional. And positive. But the second thing we see in this chapter is we see some insight into spiritual leadership. He kind of shifts gears here and he goes from instructions for special offerings and he begins to give some insight into spiritual leadership. Those who lead the church in spiritual matters, those who are put as spiritual leaders and you know let me say this obviously that would include me as the pastor uh you know and sometimes when i preach things like this people think oh it's a little self-serving you know you're talking about you know spiritual leadership and what the bible says about that but you know my my answer to that is if i don't teach you about it then who's going to right if i don't teach you what the bible says about these things then who's going to but you know this doesn't only apply to uh, the pastor because there are other people there are other men in our church and in any church that you could look to as having uh, positions of leadership you know obviously we have guys on staff here we also have uh, like brother Aaron up in Vancouver we've got men that lead certain ministries that are in charge of certain things and they lead you know in those areas so really this is just about leadership in general and he begins to give us just some insight into spiritual leadership what does he say notice verse one again now concerning the collection of the saints i want you to notice this phrase as i have given order to the churches i want you to notice that spiritual leadership needs to set order spiritual leadership needs to set order here paul says as i have given order to the churches of galatia even so do ye now keep your place there in 1 corinthians 16 you can lose your place in proverbs and in in second corinthians but go with me to the book of titus Titus chapter number 1. And this terminology reminds me of Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, when Paul is talking to spiritual leaders. Now, Titus, all those T books are clustered together. 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus. When you get to Titus, do me a favor and put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there. You can forget about Proverbs and 2nd Corinthians, but uh, make sure you can get to Titus and to 1st Timothy because we're going to go there. Uh, We're going to leave there and and come back in that area here in a minute. Titus chapter 1, look at verse 5. Titus chapter 1 and verse 5 says this. For this cause, for this cause left I thee in Crete. This is Paul speaking to Titus, who's the leader there, the spiritual leader. He said, Why did I leave you there in Crete, Titus? that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I have appointed thee. See, one of the reasons that God has given leadership and spirit, you know, leadership in any area, whether it's in the home or whether it's at work and if it's in the church and it's spiritual leadership, it is leadership is there to set order. That's why the Bible says, obey them that have the rule over you. And submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. The Bible says that you are to submit yourself to the spiritual leadership. And again, not in every area of life, but when it comes to church life, You know, there needs to be uh, people, there needs to be men, there needs to be at least a man, a pastor, who is making the rules, who is administering, who is overseeing. And you know, you can't emphasize this enough in Baptist churches today because, you know, the trend now, you know, Baptist churches are known and have always been known for being pastor-led churches. You say, why are Baptist churches pastor-led churches? Because that's what the Bible says. Because the Bible says that they are to set in order. But we have to fight, you know, the trends coming from these other churches and other movements. Because, you know, today, most churches are not pastor-led churches. They're elder-led churches. They're deacon-led churches. They're women-led churches. They're everything-led churches except the pastor. But, you know, at Verity Baptist Church, you have to remember, this is a pastor-led church. I'm not going to tell you what to do in your personal life. I'm not going to tell you where you should live or where you should not live or what car you should drive or what car you shouldn't drive. I'm not going to tell you those things. But, you know, I am going to tell you when it comes to the ministries of Verity Baptist Church, when it comes to the preaching times, to the activities, to the soul winning, I'm not going to give that over to just anybody to do whatever they want. Why? Because it is my job to give order to the church. It is the spiritual uh leadership's job to give order. And just remember that whether I'm the pastor here, you know, if I die tomorrow and somebody else takes over, you move somewhere and go somewhere else, always realize that God gave you a pastor to set order. Spiritual leadership needs to set order. But I want you to notice, secondly, as Paul gives us some insight into spiritual leadership, not only are they to set order, but they also are to spend time. You know, a shepherd should smell like sheep a shepherd should be around his people. And we see this in this passage, and, and we see this, and I'm, I'm happy because we actually see Paul struggle with it, which uh, encourages me. Look at verse 3. He says, and when I come, whosoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem, and if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. He says, if it's acceptable, if it's suitable for me to go, then they can go with me. Verse 5, he says, now I will come unto you, I want you to notice his, this internal struggle that Paul is having here. He says, I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. He said, I'm going to come see you when I pass through Macedonia. He said, I, I am going to come through Macedonia, verse 6, and it may be He's like, I'm not really sure, but it may be that I will abide with you, yea, and winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go, for I, I will not see you now, by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. Notice verse 8, but I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. And you see this internal struggle. He's saying, I want to come see you. He said, maybe I can't do it right now, but I am planning on going by Macedonia. He said, I'm going to stay at Ephesus till Pentecost. And you see that he has a heart and the desire to go and and see everybody and spend time with everybody, but he struggles with it. You say, why are you thankful to see Paul struggle with it? Because this is something that I think every pastor struggles with. You know, and I think to myself, if if a spiritual giant like Paul was telling the people, hey, I'm at Ephesus. I'm going to try to get down to, to Corinth and spend time with you and be there. You know, it makes me feel better about maybe not succeeding in these areas. But, you know, as spiritual leadership, we need to try, we need to purpose to spend time uh, with people. And, you know, even in a church like ours, it's hard. You know, we have, I think tonight we have like 110 or 150 people here tonight. We have 150, anywhere between 150 to 170 people on, on Sunday morning and, you know, 110 or 120 people on Sunday night. And it's hard to get to everybody and talk to everybody. It's hard to have all these people over, you know, for dinner or whatever. It's hard to uh, get, and then, and then on top of that, you know, we've got 60 to 80 people in Vancouver that call me their pastor. You know, for the last couple of years and for the rest of this month, you know, till we, till we uh, cut them off. And, and then, you know, we've got online listeners that call and ask questions and send emails and they support. And we're thankful for all those people. And sometimes it's hard to get to everyone. And, and you know, and it's nice to see Paul kind of struggling with that. But, you know, as spiritual leadership and for those of you that maybe one day would like to go into this spiritual leadership capacity, remember that you your job is to set order. Your job is to set order. People often think like, oh, the job of a pastor is to is 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 to preach. You know, preaching is probably the easiest part of the job. Pre you know, we have to deal with all sorts of issues and, and administration and set order and visits and phone calls and hospital visits, and we do all of that, you know, just so that we can get up and preach on Wednesday night, just so we can get up and have someone to preach to on, on Sunday morning. Uh, so, you know, our job is to set order, but our job is also to spend time to the best of our ability. Now, let me say this to those of you that would like to one day pastor or lead, be a deacon, an evangelist, lead in a spiritual uh, uh, capacity, just realize that there will always be some people who think you never give them enough time. There's always people who think you never give enough time. It doesn't matter how much time you give them. It's never enough. And, you know, people like that, you just love them and, and, and do your best. But obviously, there's only 24 hours in a day. There's only so much one person can do. But we see that this is something that we should be trying to do as spiritual leaders. We should be trying to spend time with people and talk to people and get to know people. Thirdly, we see as we get this insight into spiritual leadership, not only that spiritual leaders need to set the order and they need to spend time, but we also see that they have substantial enemies. Look at verse 9. He says, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many, don't miss that, there are many adversaries. And let me just say this to you guys that would like to go into spiritual leadership one day, or if you're married to a guy who would like to go into spiritual leadership one day, do not go into ministry if you have a problem with people not liking you. Because when you get into ministry, there are substantial enemies. There are many adversaries. There are people, I won't do it tonight, but I can give you a list of people off the top of my head, 15 people. You know, I can give you a list of 15 people that, that if they could kill me and get away with it, they do it. You say, man, how does that feel? It, you know, doesn't feel great. (laughs) It doesn't feel good sometimes. You say, why? You know, because you're a leader. Because you set order, because you say no to them when they're doing something wrong, or because you correct them, or because whatever it might be. And sometimes people just hate you for it. There are Look, whenever there is an effectual, great and effectual door is opened of opportunity, when you're getting people saved, when you're doing trying to accomplish something great for God, just realize with that there are many adversaries. There are substantial enemies. There are people that are going to hate you people that are going to fight you, people that are going to be against you. Like you notice, fourthly, in in verse 10 there, that spiritual leadership does significant work. Notice what it says. Now, if Timothy has come, see that he may be with you without fear. Notice what he says. For he worketh the work of the Lord, as I also do. It's interesting that he says, look, we do work. And again, oftentimes people think like, oh, you know, must be nice to be a pastor. You just work on Sundays, right? Yeah, I wish that were the case. It'd be nice. You know, but if you're actually doing ministry, you know, you'll be busy. There's work to be done. If you kept your place there in Titus, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. You're there in Titus. You're going to go past 2 Timothy into 1 Timothy. Titus chapter 3 and verse 1. Titus chapter 3 and verse 1 says, This is a true saying. This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, that's spiritual leadership, notice, he desireth a good work. It's work to study the Bible. It's work to write sermons. It's It's work to preach sermons. It's work to make visits. It's work to pray for people. It's work to do, you know, to put on all these events and to do all the things that we do around here. It's, It's work. It's a lot of work, and it should be work you know, the the laborer is worthy of his reward, but we need to be laboring. And unfortunately, there are pastors, there are missionaries, there are evangelists that are lazy and don't work. You know, I often just ask, sometimes there's just so much going on. I mean, our church has three full-time employees, and it seems like we can't get everything done that needs to be done. I mean, we, we have these staff meetings on a weekly basis where I'm handing off the to-do list to these guys and the things we need to do. And and these things are like dictionaries. They're like thesauruses, you know. Half of it, we real I realize I, I'm, we're not going to get to it this week. I just don't want to forget about it, so it's on the list. But, you know, there's just so much to do all the time. And I, I, often, you know, I think to myself, what are these other, what are these guys doing? Cause, you know, we're, we're making documentaries. I'm preaching three times a week. We're going on missions trip. We're leading 80 soul winners every week. We're making maps. We're doing that. We're hosting a big red hot preacher. We, we've got all these things going on. And I think, what are these other pastors doing all week long that preach one service a week? You know, like, what are they doing? Maybe, you know, maybe they're the ones giving us a bad name. But, you know, you should go, you should always go to a church where the pastor works. Where, and you say, how do you know if the pastor's working? If he's, if, 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 if he's, you know, soul winning, if he's leading a growing church, if he's doing great things, if he's involving you in the work of the ministry, all those things, you know, work is not a bad word. Today, we want to act like it's a four letter word, but you know, especially men, we need to learn to work, work hard all day. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Go back to First Corinthians 16. I want you to notice the fifth insight. He's given us these insights into spiritual leadership. He said, number one, they must set the order. And number two, they must spend time. And number three, they will have substantial enemies. And number four, they do significant work. Number five, they get sizable criticism. Notice verse 10. He says, now if Timothy has come, notice what he says. I want you to just notice the wording. The Bible is so insightful in how it was written. It says, see that he may be with you. Notice what it says, without fear, without fear. And you say, well, Paul, why would you say, why would Timothy be with them, you know, with fear? Well, notice verse 11. Let no man therefore despise him. Now, if you remember in 1 Timothy He told Timothy, "Let no man despise thy youth." It seems to be a common theme that, uh, because of his age or because of his the way he looked, you know, people would often despise Timothy. What does it mean to be despised? It means to be negative, to be critical, to look down on. And look, and again, you guys that want to be in leadership, whatever leadership it is, whether it's a pastor, whether it's running a business, whether you know whatever leadership it is, just realize this: when you are in leadership, you will be highly criticized. I, I, I cannot make a decision. You know, My wife cannot make a decision. These staff guys, we cannot make a decision without always constantly upsetting somebody. Somebody is always upset. Somebody always thinks we're doing the wrong thing. We're making the wrong choice. We're going the wrong way. There's always someone there to criticize you. And listen to me. Obviously, when we're walking in the Spirit, we're walking in, in, in the Lord, those things should not bother us. But, you know, we're human beings like anybody else. And there, there are times, there's been times in my own life where I, I've, been, I've received so much criticism, I mean, just from every angle, just different areas and different ministries. And I say, let's do this. And everybody's like, no. And, I, and then somewhere else I say, we're going to go in this. And people are like, no. And, you know, sometimes you get so much criticism that it can actually cripple you with fear. You can actually get so afraid where you're just like, I'm afraid to make any decision. I'm afraid to preach any sermon. I'm afraid to say anything. And that's what Paul is telling them. He's saying, hey, see that he may be with you without fear. He said, don't despise him so much and criticize him so much and and, and talk down to him so much that you cripple him with fear. And obviously, as spiritual leaders, look, hey, we need to just be okay with people not being happy with us. As a leader, you need to just be okay with telling people no. You know, I I often tell people, I, I get paid to say no. Anybody can say yes. You can say yes to, you know, to about anything, about anyone. It's easy to say yes. You say, Pastor, what do you get paid to do? I get paid to kindly and courteously and lovingly say no. And look, honestly, I try to say yes as much as possible, but there are some times when the answer is no. No, we're not starting that ministry. No, we're not singing that song. No, we're not bringing in that instrument. You know, no, we're not gonna quit, uh, do a lot of soul winning. No, we're not canceling that service. No, or, you know, no, we're not starting that Bible study in your house or, you know, whatever it might be. Sometimes, you know, leaders have to learn to say no. That's what makes you a leader. We'll talk about that on, on Sunday morning, but here with that, with that comes criticism. So he says, let no man therefore despise him. And look, if you're going to be a spiritual leader, you just have to be okay with that. I, I mean, I, I, I could, we could go on the internet right now and I can show you 20, 20 YouTube videos where somebody's calling me out for something they didn't like, or someone's saying something I, you know, I did, or I preached, or I shouldn't have, or I whatever... You say, Pastor, how do you deal with that? You know how I deal with that? When I watch those videos, and people are just like, ah, "We need to publicly rebuke him for X, Y, and Z." You say, how do you deal with that? I, 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 often just think to myself, "Man, I'm glad that's all they know." You know, because I know me. I mean, if I if they wanted a good exposure video, I could make a much better exposure. You know, it's like good night. You know, sometimes you just have to. You know, what do you do? You just don't watch the video. That's what you do. You just don't listen to it. You just do what you can. You just continue on for God and realize that the insight to leadership is that there's sizable criticism. Notice verse 12. Not only is there significant work and sizable criticism, but spiritual leadership must stay independent. Must stay independent. Look at verse 12. As touching our brother Apollos, Apollos is another pastor, another spiritual leader. Paul says, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time, but he will come, when he shall have a convenient time. I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul was not like a pope to these churches. He wasn't running these churches and telling their spiritual leaders what to do. Here he says, I greatly desired that Apollos would come. He said, I called Paul and said, hey, could you come preach for us? Or Can you come do this? And his will was not at all to come at this time. He will come when he shall have a convenient time. And you know, as spiritual leadership. And let me say this, I love the movement or whatever you want to call it you know the churches of like faith and practice that preach hard against sin that are zealous for soul winning they're doing great things for god i love that and i love the fact that there are churches that have you know are coming together to do great works and praise the lord for all of that but we at the same time must always be careful to maintain our independence we're not a denomination the new ifb movement is not a denomination it's okay if we do different things. It's okay if we don't all show up to the same event. It's okay if we decide to have different ministries, you know and, and and because of social media, because we're so connected, you know, I get this here. I've talked to men, they get it at their churches, you know. There's this constant, well, Pastor Romero, he does it this way, you know. Well, Pastor Anderson, he does it this way. You know, and he's, you know, when people say that, I'm like, look, pa- Pastor Romero is like this tall, okay? I'm not Pastor Romero. If you want to do it like Pastor Romero, then you can move to Fort Worth, Texas. This is Verity Baptist Church. That's what the signs say. You know, We just need to realize, and I love Pastor Romero. I'm not criticizing. I'm, I, what I'm saying is this. We must learn to keep and protect our independence. We are still autonomous churches. We are independent Baptist churches. We. It's good that we fellowship. It's good that we gather. It's good that we have conferences and soul winning events. and Nothing wrong with any of that, but don't, Get sucked into this idea that we all have to just be the same thing. That's what we criticize the old IFB for. We're being, you know, cookie cutter churches where they're all exactly the same. Hey, they must, spiritual leaders must be careful to maintain, to stay independent. Go back to First Corinthians 16. Look at verse, Look at verse 15. So we saw, number one, the instructions on special offerings. And we saw, number two, the insight into spiritual leadership. But number three, we see the ideal serving church member. He shifts gears again and he, he goes from an offering to the leaders. Now he shifts gears to the church members. And he, and he begins to give us a picture of an ideal church member, an ideal serving working church member. Notice what he says in verse 15. He says, I beseech you, brethren. You know the house of Stephanas, that it is the first fruits of Icai, and that they have, notice these words, addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Whenever I read this verse, I always think of that sermon that um, Pastor Perry preached at our church about you know, being addicted to the ministry, and he used that, uh, and I won't re-preach a sermon. Remember, he, he used that uh, story of uh, someone he knew they were addicted to drugs, and he, and he used those illustrations you in know, and, and parallel. It was a great sermon. But you know the word "addicted." If you look it up in the in the dictionary, you get lots of different definitions. But I think the definition that God is going for in this passage says enthusiastically devoted to a particular thing or activity. And you know the ideal church member is enthusiastically devoted. They're addicted to the ministry. It's something that they desire. They're excited about it. They're devoted. They're committed. It's not a chore to them. It's not something that they're uh, upset about or mad about. You know, and the Bible says that Christ is our life. And as Christians, we need to make sure that we understand that, you know, I often tell, tell our, our kids, you know, and, and I, and I want to tell you this, you know, our lives should be revolved around the things of God. Because unfortunately today, the trend with many Christians is that, you know, Christianity is something we do on Sunday morning. And it's like, we do the, the religious thing on Sunday morning, and then the rest of the week, it's that's my life. But you know what? No, the rest of the week isn't your life. When you get up on Thursday morning, you got to read your Bible. You know why? Because Christ is our life. you got to pray. Why? Because Christ is our life. Amen. you got to pray on Monday, and you got to pray on Tuesday. you got to read on Wednesday. you got to read on Thursday. It, it, it's all. It, it, we don't give God one part of it. We give Him all of it. And here he says, you know, there are enthusiastically devoted. But I want you to notice, secondly, the ideal church member, not only are they enthusiastically devoted, look at verse 16, that ye submit yourselves unto such and to every one, notice what he says, that helpeth with us and laboreth. So not only is the ideal church member enthusiastically devoted, but the ideal church member is a co-laborer. It's someone who works alongside, who comes alongside, and they helpeth. And they labor. But notice the third thing in verse 17. And I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunus and Icaus. For that, notice what he says. For that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. You know what the ideal church member does? Not only are they enthusiastically devoted, and not only are they co-laboring and helping with the effort, but they also see a need and fill the need. They see the need and they fill it. Notice he says, that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. See, the ideal church member sees a need and says, hey, I can fill that need. I, I I can be there, you know, and take care of that which is lacking. They don't wait for someone else to do it. You know, you know what the ideal church member does? And I'm not criticizing you of you. you know, I haven't seen anybody do this. But the ideal church member, the ideal employee, or the ideal whatever, you know, they walk by, you know, you walk by here and you see something on the floor, pick it up. Say, why? Because they saw the need and they filled the need. You know what most people want to do? They want to, well, you know, Brother Stucky, there's something over there. You know, it's, or Pastor, you know, it's like, pastor, it's like five minutes before I preach, Pastor. The trash is full. I'm like, well, take it out. You know, you know, what what do you mean? You know, an ideal church member, they see the need and they fill the need. And by the way, oftentimes when you're the one that sees the need, maybe God is burdening you to, to fulfill in that capacity. You know? Oh, you know, the, the daddy baby room is so filthy. Well, it seems to only bother you, so why don't you clean it? You know, oh you know, the trash can's full. Well, it seems like you're the only one that saw it, so maybe God is telling you something. You know, what I'm telling you is this that Ideal anything, employees, children, you know, whatever, they see the need, they feel the need. That which was lacking on your part, they have supplied it. Look at verse 18. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. The ideal church member is refreshing and not draining. Is refreshing and not draining. I was recently talking to Pastor Anderson about this and he brought this up, and we're, we're talking about it, and I, I, I agreed with it. It was definitely a good point. When he was saying to me how there are generally two types of church members, you know, there's the first type of church member that's always a blessing, never a problem, always, you know, great. And obviously, from time to time, everybody has issues. From time to time, we all have times where we, they need special attention, you know, they're struggling with something they're having surgery, they're having financial issues. We're not, I'm not talking about that, but in general, they're just you know a blessing, they're there, they might need some special attention here and there, but that's, your, that's one church member. Then the other church member is the ones who are always a problem, they always have some issue, they always have some complaint, they always have some problem, There's always something wrong that we're doing, something wrong, you know, we should have done it this way. My old pastor did it that way or whatever. You know, those people can be extremely draining. And, you know, be careful not to be one of those people. Someone said this, 20% of the people cause 80% of the problems. And, you know, 20% of the people often take up 80% of the time. And, and you need to be careful to not be that person that's always just having issues, having problems. And look, I'm not, I'm not saying you have a problem from time to time. We want to help you. We want, we're here for you. We want to bless you. But, you know, when you're just always having something, you're always going through something, that gets real old real fast. And it seems like the problem people are always trying to influence everyone else. You know, a little leaven, at the whole lump is what the Bible says. And, you know, uh, an ideal church member, you know what they do? They're refreshing They're not draining. You say, well, how can I be refreshing to my pastor? How can I be refreshing to my pastor's wife? How can I be refreshing to our church? Well, by seeing the need and filling it, or by being a co-laborer, or by being enthusiastically devoted. You know, those are all things that are helpful. But here he says, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Notice number five, verse 19. We're talking about the ideal church member. Number five. The ideal church member makes their earthly goods available. The ideal church member makes their earthly goods available. Notice verse 19. The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Now, this is interesting to me because there are several references in the New Testament to a church being in a house. And you'll find that in the New Testament time, churches were often started in a house this is one of the reasons that we started verity baptist church started in a house we spent the first year and a half you know in um in our house you know on uh river and circle or whatever that's where we held church in fact you know who raise your hand if you were if you were in the house with us i know brother brother vincent miss kimmy and her girls moses brother anderson anybody else is that it Man, we lost a lot of people. No, Brother Darryl, Brother Ron, I miss them. I'm going to lose them now just because I offended them. No, I'm just kidding. Brother Daryl, Brother Ron, uh, Miss Cricket, she was in the house. you know. And, um, so my parents, of course. Uh, you know, a lot of people in the house, Michelle, uh, you know, the Cruz family, all of that, in, in the house. We started in the house. You know, those were exciting days. But I, I'll tell you, let me tell you something about being in the house. It's a lot of work. It's, it's a lot. It's a huge sacrifice. I mean, for a year and a half... We didn't have a house, you know, because we didn't have couches. We didn't have all of that. Why? Because we didn't have room. We had to just make room, you know. Because at first, you know, we just had a few people coming, but eventually, when we left the house, we were averaging like thirty-five to forty on, you know, uh, thirty-five on, on Sunday morning and like fifteen to twenty on Sunday night and Wednesday night, you know. And if you're gonna put thirty-five people in your living room, you don't have room for a couch. You don't have room for it. You know, we just had we would set up the chairs, and what we would do after church, we take all the chairs. And just, you know, pile them up against the wall. And we just had this big open area. Of course, the kids loved it. They were just running around. You know, they just had this big playroom. But we didn't have, we had this little, uh, uh, you know, uh, dining table that I would t- put into the garage every Sunday morning. It's be in the garage all day Sunday. I'd bring it back out Sunday night after church, and we put it in the garage for Wednesday night because we needed the dining room area as well. Here's what I'm telling you: is anybody who ever starts a church in a house, you'll find out real quick that it's a lot of work. It's it's a big hassle having 35 people over. That's why when people say like, "Oh, you know, you don't spend a lot of time," I think I had the whole church over to my house every week. For, for, for like a year and a half. What do you mean? You know, I, I put in my time. But, you know, it's a lot of work. Cleaning the house, getting it ready, all of that. And, and here's what's interesting to me about this. Because look, there, there are pastor's wives that aren't willing to have church in their house today. I know, you know, pastor's wives are like, I'll never have church in the house. But here's what's interesting. Aquila and Priscilla, it says that they had church in their house. They're not even the spiritual leadership. They're just church members. They're just church members who told Paul, hey, we'll have church in our house. We'll, we'll make our house available. We'll take out the dining room table, and we'll make all the rooms, and we'll make all the arrangement. And, you know, that's a huge sacrifice. I mean, it's one thing for the pastor and his wife to do it when they're starting the church, but to just have this older couple, not in vocational ministry, And they just make their house available. But you know what ideal church members do? They make all of their their earthly goods available. You know why? Because Christ who is our life. They just realize that it all belongs to God. It's all God's. If God wants to use it, God can have it. If God wants the house, He can have it. If He wants the car, He can have it. If He wants to use it, then let Him use it for His glory. Number six, notice verse 20. All the brethren greet you. Greet you one another. With a holy kiss. All right. Now let me just say this. All right. That holy kiss thing. That that was like something in their Mediterranean culture. All right. That's not something we do here. Um, We you know, number one, we we don't want guys kissing girls. You know that they're not married to or related to or whatever. But I don't necessarily want you know guys kissing guys either. All right. And I know that's normal in some parts of this world, um, but that was normal there with a holy kiss, you know, the equivalent for us would be a handshake, you know, the good old-fashioned American handshake, I, I like that culture a lot better, but what I want you to notice there is that the ideal church member is hospitable, not hostile, they are hospitable, not hostile, and you know, what I've noticed is that oftentimes we want to make church into like junior high school, you know, and you'll have these like little cliques, it's us four and no more, and then we, we bully other people, you know, and we talk about other people and gossip and, and you know, me, are mean to people. And this happens in, in every church that exists. You say, how do you know that? Because it happens whenever you gather any group of people. It happens here. happens all the pastors I know. They tell me about it happening in their church. It happens everywhere. And look, we need to be careful to make sure that we always keep this place as a place that is hospitable, that people feel welcomed here that they don't feel like, oh, I don't want to go to church because people are going to be mean to me, or I don't want to go to church because they never talk to me, or I don't want to go to church because when I go over there, you know, they, they, they give me bad looks. Hey, look, we should just, you know, in spirit, not physically, but in spirit, we should just greet everyone with a holy handshake, you know, or holy kiss. Um, we should greet people. We should make sure that we're hospitable, not hostile. Don't make this a church that develops. And I've been to church, my wife and I, before I was a pastor, we went to churches where there was all sorts of cliques. There was this clique and that clique, and if you weren't part of somebody's clique, you know, nobody wants that. We want to be able to come to church and feel like we are just, you know, a family. And, and, and I'm not saying that you have to be best friends with everybody in church either. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, you be careful not to create hostile environments where it's like, these four ladies are always just gossiping and looking at other, you know, and it gets real awkward when it's like, you're all like, are you guys gossiping? No, why would you think that? It's like, you know, that's hostile. That's not hospitable. Let's be kind. Let's. You know, shake hands. Let's be nice. And again, I'm not telling you that you need to be best friends with everybody. Look, I don't want to be best friends with everybody. <laughs> There's people in this church I don't get along with. But I'm nice to them, right? We're kind to them. And you say, Pastor, you should say that. There's you. Some of you don't like me either, so that's fine. But we can be kind to each other. And we can love each other. And we can shake holy hands and greet each other. And make sure that we have not hostile environments, but hospitable environment. So we see that the ideal church member is enthusiastically devoted and is co-laboring with the leadership and sees the need and fills the need and is refreshing and not draining and makes their earthly goods available and is hospitable and not hostile. Look at verse 21. We're done. The salutation of me Paul, with my own hand, he signs the end of the letters with his own hand. He dictates the letters to someone else to write, but he always signs the letter at the end with his own hand. He says, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. And that word anathema means accursed. He says, let him be accursed. And you say, well, that's kind of tough, you know, if if someone doesn't love the Lord Jesus Christ. But, you know, the idea there is that there's no neutral zone. Look, it doesn't, you say, oh, well, I know people that they're good people. Yeah, but you know what? If they die and go to hell, they, they go to the same hell that the reprobates went to. Now, the reprobates go to, a, a, you know, the a, a worst part of hell, but they're still in hell. You know, so he's saying, look, if a man doesn't love the Lord Jesus Christ, if they don't receive the Lord Jesus Christ, if they don't accept the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be a curse. Anathema, maranatha. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this chapter that we could learn uh, a lot of truths from. And Lord, I pray that wherever wherever the the passage falls uh, for for us, whether it's maybe um, in our giving and uh, you know giving properly and having a good attitude in, in giving, or if it's with those that are in spiritual leadership or who want to be in spiritual leadership and learning about the insights there, or or maybe it's just with you know becoming an ideal church member and maybe there's something that spoke to us in that area of, uh, of seeing the need and filling it or being hospitable and not hostile, Lord. And all of those things, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to just try to do better, to love each other, uh, to thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. I pray that you would bless everyone that's here, Lord. Help us to take what we can, learn, and be encouraged, Lord, and help us to not just leave here and say, oh, well, that was nice, but to apply something to our lives and to leave different than we came. In Jesus' name we pray.